0: For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, in the 1992 Academy Award winning film, City Slickers, one of my favorite characters, a grizzled cowboy by the name of Curly, played by... Jack Palance, he takes these boys from the city, gives them calf-roping lessons, as well as self-help advice. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And the city slicker in question is Billy Crystal, and if you can imagine Curly and Billy riding side-by-side into the sunset after a series of adventures, uh, towards the end of the, the story and the end, really, of Curly's life. He turns to Billy and says, if you remember, do you want to know the secret of life? And Billy Crystal says, well, of course. And Curly holds up a finger and says, this. To which Billy Crystal responds, your finger? Is that the secret of life? Uh, He says, no, one thing. One thing. And I'm paraphrasing cowboy speak here because I, I can't repeat it. But he says, if you get this one thing then nothing else really matters. Well, what about our gospel uh, that we've been given? What about Paul at the end of his life in the the book of 2 Timothy? Uh, What is the one thing that he would want to impart to his associate Timothy? He's in really a difficult situation. He is in a Roman jail, probably under house arrest. The churches that he has oversight of, uh, have pressure from without, persecution. They have pressure from within, opposition from within the church. It, it's a really a pressure cooker situation. And here he is, probably a year or two before his death. And he is penning a letter to his beloved associate Timothy. What are the words that he will share to Timothy? Will Timothy? have the strength to carry out his calling? He's now been left in charge of these churches with so much pressure and difficulty. Uh, Will he rise to the occasion? Will God's mission continue? I also want to ask, what, what about your life right now? What is the greatest obstacle you're facing? And what is the greatest challenge that is set before you as you try to fulfill God's calling on your life? I think if we hear Paul's exhortation to Timothy, uh, to the churches, the wider community, and to us, the um, later generations of the church, I think we'll find courage and hope for the callings that God has given us. What does Paul say? One thing. What does Paul give Timothy to hope on? The gospel. He gives him good news. Will the churches survive? Will the mission of God continue? Yes. Why? Because we have been given, Timothy had been given, the greatest message in human history. And not only that, God had written it on his very heart. And he now has everything he needs. He's equipped with all things he needs in order to bear witness faithfully to his community. So, what's the one thing? It's the gospel. There's no secrets here. But I'd like for us to look at this passage on page 995 of your Bibles. And I want to try to point out four things about this gospel it's authority, sincerity, its integrity, and its beauty. We'll take them two by two it's authority and sincerity. What is the nature of the authority of this one thing that Paul is imparting to Timothy? If you look at verse 1, Paul writes, An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The choice of Paul as apostle to the Gentiles was made not by his own will, not by a, a church body, a commissioning body. It was made by the very will and purposes of God himself. Paul was chosen as the apostle to the Gentiles, commissioned, if you recall, none other, as every apostle was, commissioned by the risen Lord himself to take this message to the Gentiles. And if, um, unless you're a person of Middle Eastern uh, ethnicity and of Jewish descent, The reason why you're here today is because of that mission that was entrusted to Paul. And so the authority that Paul has been vested in does not get any clearer or more compelling. And yet, and yet, notice how he exercises this authority. What does Paul call Timothy in verse 2? To Timothy, my beloved child. In the first letter to Timothy, he actually uses a different phrase to Timothy, my true child. And I don't think this is a a patronizing comment he's making. This is Paul reminding Timothy of his identity as a child of God, as a true son of Paul and a a bearer of the, the gospel message. But more than that, his status as the beloved through Christ. This is the same word used in the first epistle of John to the church. He says, Beloved ones, the church. This is the same word used at the baptism of Jesus when the voice of God the Father came down from heaven and said, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know the loving authority of God, the one who calls you beloved in Christ? This is the authority of the gospel message that we have. Now we've been looking at leadership, the principles of leadership in First and Second Timothy. It's been a, a searching series asking us, do we have the proper humility before God? Is our conscience clear? But I also uh, would say that this leadership expresses itself with both accountability and support. It's been said that good leadership has both accountability or authority and support, or love. One writer puts it like this, support without accountability breeds moral weakness. But accountability without support? Well, that's called cruelty. And how beautiful is it that Paul, as an apostle with this authority invested in him, demonstrates this kind of loving authority. And by extension, the God whom he serves. Our God is not a cruel boss y'all. He has called us to accountability like a good father. He has shown us how far we've fallen short by the light of his glory and holiness, but yet he has provided the support, the ultimate support that we've needed. He paid our penalty and he's given us his powerful spirit. This is the kind of authoritative love and support that we have and the message that we carry. What about the gospel's sincerity? We know this gospel comes with heavy authority. And what about its sincerity? It's interesting, Paul names the the lineage of Timothy here in verse 5. He talks about his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. And as pastor to families here at the cathedral... This really is an ideal picture of what family ministry would look like, right? Grandmothers, mothers, and children sitting together worshiping God. Somehow, we don't know the details, possibly grandmother Lois was converted. They probably uh, were, grew up as Jews and converted to Christ, uh, the fulfillment of the Jewish story. Now, I think this tells us two things. Number one the amazing influence of moms in our lives. And yes, I am pandering a little bit here. Women have an outsized influence. If you take um, just inventory of your own life on your spiritual and moral development. So it doesn't matter what your vocation is here as a woman, whether you're um, in business or a teacher or a homemaker, you have an incredible and significant role in the formation of your kids. Now, I think it also says that you're not solely responsible or you're really not even finally responsible for your kid. What does Paul say to Timothy? The faith that I am sure now dwells in you. It dwelt first in your grandmother and mother, but now dwells in you. And so mothers and fathers, we can take heart that while we have a great influence on the discipleship of our kids... We're going to make mistakes. Maybe you've made a lot of them. But ultimately, Timothy's faith was his own personal responsibility. It came down to Timothy receiving and appropriating the gospel. It's even been said, questioned by some scholars, well, Timothy's dad was a Greek. So that means if his mother Eunice was a faithful Jew, she had never married a Greek. So maybe there was some kind of um, confusion or she wasn't really a, a, a real faithful Jew. And so maybe she made some mistakes you know, in her life. And I love the will, the sovereign will and, and beauty and just healing of God's mercy. that how beautiful is it that Timothy, the one who is charged to take care of the Gentile churches, would, maybe of a mistake, who knows, by the parents, have a Greek father, have this Jewish lineage and discipleship from his mother and grandmother? ...and yet be placed at the intersection of the gospel going to other cultures. He was perfectly groomed for this place. And as parents, we can love our children, we can pray for them... ...but ultimately we entrust them to God and the Holy Spirit... ...and God will work out His calling on our kids' lives. Amen? Amen. But Paul wants Timothy to know this gospel for himself. That the sincerity of the gospel means... ...there's a necessity of personal discovery... And I think this means for us, if you look at verse 6, that our faith is not static. Paul says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That means that a faith must be stewarded, cultivated, like embers in a fire being given fresh air, being given fresh fuel, that we are called to steward This faith, that it is a dynamic reality in our lives. So the gospel requires a personal sincerity if it's going to be communicated clearly. And a wonderful note of God's mercy in this is that at the end of the day, it's not us, it's the Spirit in us. We live faithfully only by the power that comes from the gospel. This is not positive thinking theology where you think strong thoughts or work up a faith within you. But what does Paul say? No, for God gave us a spirit. It's the gift of God through the laying on my hands. God has given you a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So we have the authority of the gospel. By God's grace, we personally discover and appropriate God's story. Our story, our individual lives get wrapped up into God's story. And now the sincerity of the gospel is able to be communicated through us. Why else should we be confident in our times in this one message? The gospel also has integrity and beauty in our final point. Integrity is a word that is in high demand today in our presidential race and other places. But integrity means not only speaking true things but also whole or undivided. Paul communicates to Timothy that this gospel is undivided. It has integrity. And beloved ones, friends, we're going to read this Nicene Creed in a few minutes later this service. I'm going over this with our sixth graders in the catechism class. We're actually focusing on the Apostles' Creed. But you should know that through this document, this creed, and other examples... The gospel, the one story of God, has been faithfully preserved for us. No other religion has undergone the scrutiny or been put to the test more than Christianity. Whether it's from uh, higher critical scholars in religion or from uh, other religions or leaders, Christianity has been through the fire. And as you read the creed, you should know that every line in there has been fought for. It's been preserved for us. It's not just dry doctrine. When we say, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, there was a movement called Gnosticism that said, no, God is not the one true God. There's kind of two powers, good and evil, and we're just going to kind of escape this evil material reality and be enlightened and escape. And the early church fathers said, no, this gospel has integrity And we know that God is one, that He created heaven and earth, and that one day, despite earth being corrupted by sin, God will finally restore all things and His kingdom will come, and we pray this every week, on earth as it is in heaven. This gospel has been fought for. The gospel has integrity, it also has beauty. As a new dad of a seven month old daughter, Anna, I'm learning what it means to try to uphold and protect the beauty. If you have a daughter or a um, niece or a, a cousin, you know that beauty needs to be guarded and fought for and protected. And so Paul uses these beautiful words about the gospel in verse nine. He says, God... Because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I don't know how much more beautiful it can be that death is being abolished, that it will not have the final word, and that through Christ, life and immortality has been brought to life. Now, anytime there's something beautiful and powerful, it tends to cause um, difficulty. It can, be, it can come under attack, right? Um, and today, if you're wondering, why, God, do I feel under attack, maybe in your job or your, or your family? Or why, as a church, do we feel um, marginalized in some ways? It's because God wants the beauty of his gospel to shine forth all the more clearly in our day and our time. Jonathan Edwards put it like this, trials are a further benefit to true religion because they not only manifest its truth, but they also enhance its genuine beauty and attractiveness. True virtue is loveliest when it is oppressed. The divine excellency of real Christianity is best exhibited when it is under The greatest trials. So that's why Paul says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The gospel should be defended. It has a good defense. But it also can give offense. Offense. If you watched any football this weekend, a good football team has to have both offense and defense, right? You can score with 10 seconds left in the game, but if your defense is not sound... Well, it's not going to turn out, turn out positively for you. In the same way, we defend the gospel, we protect it, we guard it because it is so um, trustworthy, because it is so pure. But at the same time, and for some of the same reasons, we present it in all its beauty. We have a good offense, which may cause offense. We present the gospel in all its glory and beauty, um, but we may endure suffering because of it. And yet, God will use even that for his glory and for our good. So finally, is it in you, this one thing? I'm going to use another football analogy this weekend. It's a heavy football weekend. Any good football coach from day one will, really from day one through the end of the season, will do some of the same things. They'll drill the what? Fundamentals. you got to know the fundamentals. And you see teams that haven't really uh, internalized, embodied these fundamentals. And when the pressure's on, what happens? They start walking into the end zone or they, um, they jump uh, at the wrong time. So when the pressure's on, is it in you? Are the fundamentals, this gospel, this one thing, is it in you? Some liturgies at the Eucharistic table when we come to the Lord's table for communion, and we'll say a version of this in ours today, but... We say, we proclaim to you the mystery of faith, and many of you know it. What? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And this is just shorthand for the gospel, the story of God. So I ask you today, the gift that is in you by God's Spirit, are you fanning it into flame? Are you stewarding this beautiful gospel in your life, in your heart? Are you ready when the pressure is on To bear witness to the king. And as Paul reminded Timothy, I would remind you that God, in fact, has equipped you with everything you need to carry that vocation out faithfully. We have been given the greatest message in human history. And it originates in the eternal purposes of God. And now it's been written on our very hearts by his spirit. We don't preach ourselves Thank God we preach what? Christ and him crucified. He has given us, he has equipped us with everything we need to carry out the mission that he has assigned us for as a church, as families, and as individuals in our time today. For God did not give you a spirit of fear. God did not give you a spirit of timidity. But God has given us, what? A spirit of power and love and self-control. Amen.